This is what Jesus did on that very first Easter morning. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he said, about Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he broke bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. If you were to ask Jesus on Friday, so Jesus, do you got any big plans for the weekend? I would imagine that he would say something like, well, kind of, yeah, I kind of like the biggest plans ever. On Sunday morning, I plan to defeat death. I plan to gut punch the devil in the stomach and knock his teeth down his throat by walking out of the grave and proving to everyone that I am exactly who I said that I am. I have risen. Now, once he did that, he might say, after that, I think I'll take a walk. 
I'm just going to meander. I'm going to stroll to some random place. I'm going to meet some random guys, and we're just going to walk for seven miles. And, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to kind of eavesdrop into their conversation. I'm just going to listen to what they have to say. And then because I'm Jesus and I invented words, I'm going to find my way into their conversation, and I'm going to pretend like I have no idea what is going on. That's what Jesus did on the first Easter. This story is amazing. I must confess, it truly is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. It is the ultimate Jesus juke, all right? It is Jesus is playing with these guys. He's kind of messing with them for their benefit. When I first got married, my wife did something like this to me. She actually invited me on a walk, just like these guys. Went on a walk. She invited me on a walk. Uh, she, to this day, if you were to talk to her, she'd still say that we were going on a hike, and she said that. But trust me, she said walk, because I prepared for a walk. And what you need to know about my wife at this time, she was a professional personal trainer, and I was a professional donut eater. That's what I did. That's my job. Right? And so she loves to exercise. I do not. She likes to go for walks in the woods. I grew up in the woods. You don't go for walks when you grew up in the country. You're already in the country. And so you don't go on those walks. But she wanted to go. So she tricked me, truly tricked me. She said, we're going to go on a little walk to this place called Little Sigh. Right? And I thought to myself, Little Sigh. I'd never heard of it before. I thought, it's not that bad. Doesn't sound like it's that bad. So we go to Little Sigh. If you've never been there, here's a picture of Little Sigh. Right? This is a picture of it. Um, this is where you end, just so that you look on the top right there. That's where you end, right there. And, and, and then um, right here is where you begin. <laughs> it is so far away that I couldn't even fit it in the picture when we took the picture that day. So truly, so uh, it's 4.7 miles. Uh, someone even told me that might be big Psy. So if that, that's the hike we went on. So she, maybe she tricked me twice. She said, we're going to little Psy, and then it turned into big Psy. Either way, it was 4.7 miles with an elevation gain of 1,300 feet. Friends, that's a straight up hike. I mean, I needed equipment, and I didn't have it. Okay? So that's little Psy. Um, this is what we look like taking pictures partway through. This is me and my wife. Um, these are real pictures at the time. I am not having a good time, but my wife is loving it. She is loving it, right? And we walked and we went there and it was a glorious time. And I was thinking about why I need to get a divorce and all those things. And she truly, she took this picture of me at the end. This is me at the end. She snapped a quick one of me right there. But I say this, I give props to my wife for tricking me into exercising. That's what she did. She pulled one over on me, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing right here. He's kind of pulling one over for their benefit. It is such a good story, and I love this story, and I relate to this story, and truthfully, I think you will too. Truly, everybody knows the big overarching uh, Easter story. It's so important. But this lesser known specific chapter of the Easter story where two friends are walking on a road is the story that everyone at every age, at every life stage, from every background can emotionally relate to. And here's why. These guys, they had questions. 
They were confused, like me at a Zumba class. They had no idea what was going on, right? They, they didn't know what to think about what just happened. Jesus was here, now he's gone. He's gone, and so is our hope. And just a little background on these guys, so we have a little idea who they are. We only know one of their names, Cleopas. And the reason we know his name is because he was interviewed by the historian Luke, who documented this walk after actually interviewing Cleopas and recording this account. We know that they had, these two had been with the disciples. That In fact, they probably considered themselves to be disciples. Uh, there were many rings. They weren't a part of the 12, but maybe they were on the outskirts of that. We don't know how close they got to Jesus. We know that they knew his teachings, that they wanted to follow him. In fact, they considered themselves to be followers of him. We know that they were in Jerusalem for the sentencing, for the execution, and the death of Jesus, and the burial of Jesus. Um, That was on Friday. They were in Jerusalem on Friday, and now it's Sunday. And for whatever reason, they're headed home. For whatever reason, they have lost hope. For whatever reason, they don't feel like it is worth it. Maybe Jesus was the son of God. Maybe he's not. Either way, he is gone now, and so is our hope. Our hope is gone. Scripture says that their faces were downcast. In fact, in, verses, in verse 21, it says, Cleopas used this phrase, we had hoped. We had hoped that Jesus would be the one We had hoped that he would save Israel. We hoped that he would save us, and now he's dead. I resonate with this story. I resonate with this random walk that they took because of this, because all of us, at some point in our life, we've had hopes, and somehow we've lost those hopes, that we've had dreams, big dreams. We've had expectations, an ideal, and somehow it just didn't happen inside of our life, and so Life ends up being a place where we hoped it would be, and it's not. And hope seems to be lost. We hoped that it would be so much more. And then all they're left with is questions. So it's the same with us. Sometimes we're left with questions when it comes to God. Big questions. Real questions. Questions like, if you're really good, God, then why did I have a miscarriage? If you really love me, if you truly care about me, God, then why did you allow my wife to walk out and cheat on me? Why did you allow my husband to go? If you really are all-powerful, then God, why can't we conceive? Why can't we have a child? God, if you really care about me, how come you don't answer my prayers when I'm praying to you? I, I, I've been struggling with addiction, and yet now I've been praying and praying, I still feel stuck. Or I've been, you know, I've been struggling with depression, I, I've been praying that you'd cure me of that. I still can't get out of bed. Huge prayers, like God, if you're really real, and you are who you say you are, then why did you let them die? Why'd you let my dad die? Why'd you let my friend die? Why'd you let my mom die? Why'd you let my daughter die? This is our struggle. As a culture, as individuals, we hoped for more. And we're left with questions, and all we have are questions. So with that said, this is what I find so fascinating about this story is it shows us one thing. It shows us that Jesus really hasn't changed. Because the last time we saw Jesus alive, he was on a cross between two thieves and they were having a conversation. Jesus was reaching out to them 
And asking, and they were asking questions, and Jesus was responding. In his dying breath, he comes back to life. What is the first thing he does? He goes on a walk. He finds two random guys who have doubts and fears and questions, and he starts engaging with them again. Jesus hasn't changed, and this should tell you one thing for sure, is that Jesus is not afraid of what confuses you. He is not afraid of your hard questions. He doesn't sit there with latex gloves and say, I can't touch you because I know what you've done. I can't touch you because I know your bad thoughts. Jake, I know the lies that you have told. I know who you are on the inside. I know what you struggle with, so I can't touch you because I don't want to get dirty. That is not how Jesus approaches people. It is not. Jesus seeks out people. Jesus runs to them. He goes and finds the hurting to help them and to engage. And he says, I'm not worried about you being dirty. I am here to make you clean. My presence is here to purify you. I just want to engage in conversation. I just want to chat with you. I love this story. Truly, you couldn't make this up. Cleopas and his friend are walking home right? They've lost hope. They've got questions. They hear rumblings that this Jesus may have risen from the grave, and then boom, there's Jesus. And the first point I want to make, that brings me to my first point. If you're looking for Jesus, know this. Jesus is already looking for you. If you're looking for Jesus, Jesus is already looking for you. If you're looking for hope, hope is already looking for you. His name is Jesus. If you're looking for peace, peace is already looking for you. His name is Jesus. If you want help, help is on the way. It is Jesus. He's already looking for you. A few years back, I was driving home from work, and uh, I used to live in Duval then, and I was driving Woodenville Duval Road, 55-mile-an-hour highway. As I'm coming down, maybe it is. I don't know. I never drove that. I was always going 70. (laughs) So as I'm going 70 down to 45, okay, no, just, I don't know. I literally saw a kid up on the right-hand side on a big wheel, and I saw him at enough distance where I was able to stop, but it was still really tight. He literally took his big wheel, tiny little kid, must have been maybe two years old, and then maybe two, three years old, and then comes right into the road. I slam on the brakes. Thank God that nobody was behind me because I hit it so hard, and I just stopped in enough time to not hit the kid in that moment. My heart is beating. It is freaking out. And so I realized that the kid didn't really see me even in that moment. And he continuing to go across the street into the other lane where we're on a turn where at any moment another car could come and hit him. So quickly I opened up the door, got in there. I went and I grabbed the kid, picked him up and the bike at the same time and walked him in front of my truck, put him in there. We're on the highway right? We're on a turn on the highway. And so I have to get off. So I I take him, I put him in the cab. I feel really weird about this, taking this strange kid and putting him in the cab of my truck. And I throw his truck and he's in there on the passenger seat. And I go back in and I get off the road and I start to ask him questions like, hey, are you okay? Where are your parents? You know, what's going on? Where do you live? Where's your home? He was so young, he really couldn't communicate to me, and I didn't know where he was, so I was left to search and try to find And So I take the truck, and I go down this long road, this long driveway of multiple driveway houses on the side, and I realize this distance, way in down the distance, about a quarter of a mile is a lady walking down the street. I realize it's his mom. And I walk up, and I drive up, and I get there, and I ask, is this your kid? you know, and she bursts into tears. So I assume it was her kid, you know. (laughs) 
She says, is this your kid? And she says, yes, it's your it's, this is my son. And I'm like, okay, you know, I found him on the highway. And she's like, oh my gosh, we have been searching for him. She said she literally just, and if you're a parent, you can understand this. Or if you've been a parent, they just disappear like that. You take your eyes off them and then they're gone for a second. And then all of a sudden she is frantically searching and searching and searching for him as he's going down the wrong path. Friends, it's the same thing with Jesus, right? He is frantically searching for us. And even when this kid started to ask about his mom, where is my mom, right? He was searching for her. We've been searching sometimes for Jesus, but Jesus is already looking for us. That's what Jesus does. He was seeking out these two guys on a road. Here's what he says. Jesus says, the son of man, and he's referring to himself, says, came to look for or to search for or to go after or to find and to save people who are lost, that's awesome. When Jesus approaches this, guys, he asks him the question, so uh, what are you guys talking about? Which I think is hilarious. It's kind of funny because Jesus already knows what they're talking about. He's Jesus, right? Jesus knows everything. He knows every answer to every question on Jeopardy. He knows the 11 secret herbs and spices of KFC's chicken, he knows those. He knows what the heck is going on with the Seahawks right now. I'm not sure he's happy about all the trading, but he knows what's going on. In Pete, we trust. But Jesus never asks a question for information, right? Never, because he knows everything. So why in the heck? Why in the world is he asking? What is up with the charade? What does Jesus really want? Catch this. Jesus is asking, what are you talking about? Simply because he wants them to talk to him. That's it. That's it. All Jesus has ever wanted is a relationship. He's just wanted us to talk to him. He's not after the perfect behavior. He doesn't want a five-hour quiet time. He doesn't want you to empty your bank account. Jesus wants you. That's why he walks alongside us. That's why he walked alongside these guys. He wants to know how you feel. It's crazy because Jesus already knows how we feel. He just wants to hear us say it. He just wants to talk with us. I'm married. Sometimes my wife wants to talk at the most inopportune times. Truly, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. And I don't think she wants to hear anything of what I have to say. I just think she wants to talk. She wants to have a conversation. And sometimes at the most ungodly hours, it's amazing. And I try to engage. I really, really do. But why is she doing that? Why does she want that? She wants to be in relationship with me. That's what she wants. And it's the same reason why we are here today at this church is because Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. You may not recognize it, you may not believe it, but the reason you're sitting here tonight is, or to this morning is because God has orchestrated that you would be here because he wants a relationship with you. And just to give you a fair warning, you're gonna have that opportunity at the end of the service to go ahead and to respond into a relationship with Jesus. But in the moment, Jesus asks, and he says, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, bro, where have you been, man? Which is hilarious. The irony is palatable. I mean, you can't make this up. It's hilarious. They ask, are you a stranger here? Do you not know about all the things that have been going on in Jerusalem? And Jesus is like, what things? Right? He's feeding them lines is what he's doing. I love to fish. 
If you get a big one on, you just let it loose, right? You give them some slack. And Jesus, that's exactly what he's doing here. He's giving them some lines because he knows that in a few hours what he's about ready to do. In fact, they probably spent five to seven hours together on this seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And scripture says that their faces were downcast, but there was a glimmer of hope. There were rumors. There were rumblings. Word had already started to spread that Jesus might actually be alive and that a couple gals were lucky enough to run into some angels that said that he was. And these guys, catch this, they are telling Jesus this. They're telling them, telling Jesus who Jesus is, right? They're having this conversation. They had no idea what they were doing, but they actually are. These two guys are the very first two people on the planet to give the Jesus Christ gospel to Jesus Christ, isn't that amazing? What an honor that would be. You know, I mean, like, what did you do with your life? Well, I invented the wheel. I was president of the United States. I walked on the moon. What did you do? I was one of two people who gave the very first gospel on the very first Easter. Drop the mic back up off the stage. You win. If you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to Jesus Christ on the first Easter, you win. Now, the reason Jesus said these guys were slow to believe the reason he said that you were slow to believe is because they didn't recognize him. They were right there. Think about that. They were right there, so close, and they couldn't recognize. They didn't know they were actually talking to Jesus, which brings me to my next point. Just because you talk about Jesus doesn't mean you recognize him. Don't miss that. That's huge. Just because you talk about Jesus doesn't mean you recognize him. These two men are talking about Jesus like a lot of church people do, like a lot of Americans do, like some of us in this room do. And just because you talk about God, just because you go to a church, just because you said a prayer some time ago doesn't mean that you recognize his power in your daily life. His resurrection power. They didn't know who they were talking to. I used to work at a really large church. And then I got promoted and I work here now. At this smaller church, which I love. And so what's crazy is that they used to do these big concerts there, big Christian concerts where thousands of people would come. And one night, you know, one of the benefits, though, being on staff is you could go to these things at times, right? You could just, you have keys, so you can get in anywhere, so you can kind of sneak in the back and watch the concert. One of my favorite artists of all time was actually coming. And unfortunately, I couldn't go to the concert, but Toby Mac was coming into town. And he was a part of DC Talk. And if you're not a church person, you're like, who are you talking about? Dude, this guy was my hero. My hero growing up, love his music. And unfortunately, I couldn't go to the concert. So I'm on my way out of the building. I'm gonna head out. And on the way out is the bathroom. And I stop there. And yes, I'm going to tell a bathroom story on Easter Sunday. And so I go in there and there's this kid. He's at the urinal. <clears throat> and I know it's a kid because he's got a backwards hat, poofy jacket, baggy pants kind of a thing. And I'm a youth pastor at the time. My job is to engage and to connect with kids. But there are two rules in the bathroom when you're inside of there. <clears throat> One of them is you don't look, okay? You just don't look. You don't make eye contact when you're in there. Especially, guys, you know this. You stare straight at that wall. It's the most interesting wall you've ever seen in your life. You look straight forward. That's what you do. <laughs> The second rule is that you don't talk, right? 
you don't talk. I am sad to say that I broke that rule when I walked in there. I'm looking straight forward. I decide I'm going to connect with this kid. So I ask him, so are you, uh, are you excited for the concert? You know, because I knew he was obviously there for the concert. And, uh, and there was silence right, a little bit. There was a little bit of silence. I think he was a little shocked that I decided to talk to him. <clears throat> and, then, and then he said, yeah, I'm excited. What about you? And I'm like, dang, I'm, I'm bummed, man. I can't actually go. I, I know it's going to be good. Because Toby is like, does a great concert. I've been to his concerts before. He's amazing. And it's just, it's going to be awesome. You're in for a treat, man. You are in for a treat. And so I'm talking to him. He goes back, washes his hands. At some point in time, I finish my business. And I turn around. And as I'm talking, I look in the mirror and I see his face. And I am talking to Toby Mac. <laughs> about Toby Mac in the bathroom. Friends, I had no idea what to do next. I felt like I should shake his hand, but I didn't wash my hands yet. And so I was literally probably the most awkward conversation he's ever had in his life, probably. But I told him, guys, I told him, dude, you have meant the world to me. You've inspired me. I grew up listening to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, most awkward conversation that you've ever had in your life. But I was talking to Toby Mac, and I didn't realize it was Toby Mac. Friends, that is my Toby Mac story. For some of us, that is our Jesus story. You don't know, or maybe you do know, you, talk, you know about him. Maybe you even talk about him. Maybe even occasionally you talk to him, but you don't know him. You don't recognize his power in your life. Here's the good news. He's not mad about it. He's not pissed off or angry at you. He loves you. He is crazy, crazy about you. Jesus doesn't want a bunch of militant soldiers going out and doing his business. He wants daughters and sons to sit down at a table and just talk to him. He just wants to talk to him. That's why Jesus was following these guys. He just wanted to talk to them. Why? Because he loved them. He wasn't trying to catch them in the act. He wasn't trying to catch them red-handed. He wasn't, you know, trying to scare the life out of them. He was trying to give them life. That is the whole reason why Jesus goes after any of us is that he loves us. He wants to talk with us. He hung on a cross. He came off of that cross into a grave, came up from that grave so that he could walk seven miles with these guys. Why? Because he loved them. He wanted to talk with them. He wanted a relationship with them. But first, their eyes needed to be opened. And in a few moments, I'm gonna show you how their eyes were open. And I believe that dozens of us in this place will have our eyes opened as well when I show you how he opened their eyes. Right now, though, I want to invite Jonathan to come on up and play a little music behind me. That would be great. When they finally reached Emmaus, the place where they were going, these guys' home, Jesus acted as if he was going further. And in that moment, they said, no, 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 please, please stay. You've got to stay. And apparently... Inside of their hearts, it was burning. There was this fire inside of them that was burning inside of them. Something was different about this man. There was something that was that not normal. They couldn't put their finger on it, but it was special. And they didn't want him to go. And so they asked him, Jesus, will you please stay? And Jesus 
stayed. And he sat down at the table. And then here's what's interesting. He broke bread. Now, Jesus had broken bread many times before that. Feeding of the 5,000, he'd done it with his disciples. He'd broken bread many times before that. But this time, what's interesting is that he was a guest. He was a guest inside of this house. And the guests aren't the ones that break the bread. That is an honor in this time that was reserved for the head of the household. But here's what's interesting. When Jesus enters into a house, he becomes the man of the house. When Jesus enters into a life, he takes over that whole life. He changes it, not by force, but by love. And Jesus always enters to w- into where he's invited to. Always. Scripture says Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Watch this. When Jesus who actually said, I am the bread of life, rolled up his sleeves. When Jesus, who was born in a town called Bethlehem, Bethlehem means house of bread, reached down to grab the bread. When Jesus, who three nights before actually said, this is my body, this bread represents my body. And it is broken for you. And he breaks the bread in front of them. And he gives thanks for it. And what does he do next? He gives it to them. And when he hands it to them, what do they see? They see bread. Yes, they see the bread. But they also see his wrists. And where the nails had been driven in, they see the scars, they see the the cuts in his arms, they see the holes. And they think to themselves, okay, I, I know there are a lot of people that have crucifixion scars on their wrists. There are a lot of people who have them there, but they're all buried in the dirt. And this guy is alive. He's not a ghost. He's in my house. He's passing me bread. Oh my God, literally, God is in my house. And their eyes were opened when they saw the scars. Those scars told a better story than any words could ever have spoke. They told a better story than anything he could have said. It opened their eyes. And Jesus just, oh my God, hear this, hear this. He loves you. No matter what you've done, he loves you. And he has the scars to prove it. He has the scars to prove it. I know that many of us in here have scars. Like I said before, so many of us had hoped for more and are left with questions. What we got is questions about God, about faith. Bottom line, Jesus is the answer that restores hope. If there's one thing that you can remember this entire morning, Jesus is the answer that restores hope. Think about this. Back on the road, these two guys got a personal Bible study session with Jesus himself. Not only the man who wrote the Word of God, but the man who said, I am the Word of God. 
they got to ask him questions. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament alone that point to where Jesus would be born all the way up to where he would die and how he would die. 300 prophecies. They got to go through all of those from Moses to the prophets. They got to ask him questions. Verse 27 says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, being Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is so important. I am not saying that Jesus has all the answers, even though he does have all the answers. I am saying Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. If you have questions about life, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you are questioning about what am I going to do next? Where am I going? Are you lost? Right? Are you lost? Are you searching for truth? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. If it's dark in your world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you need peace, scripture says, catch this, he himself is peace. Jesus not only has all the answers, he is the answer. And he is the answer that restores hope. It restores hope. Look at how these guys responded, right? He revealed himself, Jesus disappears. And in verse 33, it says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Their hope was immediately restored. Immediately restored. Like that. They had hope, a glimmer of hope, maybe. And then Jesus says, here I am. And boom, hope is back. Because what did they do? They literally ran right back there. I got to tell the disciples, Jesus has risen. Maybe you're here and your marriage is barely hanging on. Maybe it's not hanging on at all. Maybe you're walking through a divorce. I want to tell you that he restores hope. Jesus restores hope. Maybe you're here and you don't know what you're going to do financially. It is tight. It is difficult. Maybe you lost your job. I don't know what it is. Maybe you just can't get the right job. Maybe it's just hard at your job. Jesus restores hope. Maybe you got a diagnosis. I know that one. You got a diagnosis that changed your life. It changed everything. Maybe it wasn't just you. Maybe it was somebody that you love, but you got a diagnosis and life will no longer be the same. He restores hope. Maybe it's just hard right now. You're just lost even in your own thoughts. It's just difficult to move. Your friendships feel distant. He restores hope. Maybe you feel far from God. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your kid. It's far from God. And you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed. He restores hope. Maybe you've never known God. And hope is a foreign four-letter word. He, Jesus, is the answer that restores hope. And this morning, on Easter morning, I want to give you an opportunity, an invitation to receive that hope. This table has some bread on it. If you need hope, if you need Jesus today, if you need to get your life right with him, 
you want your eyes to be opened like theirs were, I'm going to ask you to respond. I want to ask you to come up here and grab some bread. Here's how I'm going to do it, though. I don't think I could make this any more uncomfortable. Okay? Some of you, as I have been talking, your heart has been burning. Not because of anything that I had to say, but because God wanted you here for a relationship, for a reason. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm literally going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to say, just look at me, just raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to boldly stand up. If you need Jesus in your life to come up here and to grab some bread, you know what? You could look silly. I already look silly if nobody comes up here, right? But I don't care on that. Jesus was bold and he took the cross. And these guys, when they need, when their eyes were open and their hope was restored, they got up and they went. Billy Graham just passed away, right? What did Billy Graham used to do? He used to give altar calls. Why would he do that? Because there's something about standing up and moving and making a commitment publicly. And so I'm going to actually ask you right now, if that's you, and you need Jesus in your life, I'm going to ask you to stand in this moment, come down here in front of everyone, and grab this bread if you need it. Don't wait. Don't wait. Just come on up. There's no reason to wait. Jesus didn't wait for you. He came all the way down from heaven to be with you. This is serious business. People need Jesus. You need Jesus, whether you recognize it or not. He is the bread of life and he's offering you life. Here's what I want to do now. Those guys, they were in two, right? They came in two. There was one, they were buddies. Maybe you came with someone. If you came with someone, I want you to ask them. If you're sitting next to someone, I want you to ask them, do you need to go up there? Can I go with you? I will go with you. I will go with you if you need someone to go with you. Husbands, I want you to ask your bride, do you want to do this? You want to go up with me? Wives, I want you to ask your husband. I want you to ask each other. I want you to ask your sons, your daughters, whoever is sitting next to you. Do you need to go up there? I will go up there with you. If that's you, do that right now. Ask your neighbor. Ask them, do you need to go up there? Do you? And then go together. Go together. That's awesome. So awesome. As they're coming, I want to invite the band to come on up as well. This is amazing. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And if you want life, he's offering it. He offered it on a cross. You know what's so amazing about Easter Sunday? About Easter in itself is the resurrection. The resurrection proves that Jesus is who he says he is. Before that, he was just a guy who died. But when he came forward, he was not just a guy who died. He was God himself, the Messiah. And what he says is by giving his own life, he offers us life. He offers us life and we take it today. Do me a favor. Go ahead and stand on up. Here's what we're going to do.
The band is going to play a song. If you feel like you need to be up here and you didn't step up here when you had the chance, you have that chance during this song. I don't want anybody not to walk up here and to have an opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we sing this song, this bread will still be here, but we're going to sing a song about how Jesus loves us. If you got questions, Jesus is the answer. He restores hope. He restores hope. And so let's sing to the hope of the universe right now.